In this episode, I break down obsessive, compulsive, and related disorders and the possible underlying polyvagal implications. My name is Justin Sinceri. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and your fellow trauma nerd, helping you understand and apply the science of connection to daily life. Welcome to episode 49 of the Polyvagal Podcast. If you're one of the super fans, stick around after the main topic. I've got one announcement, one homework assignment, one request, and a DM from one of your fellow superfans. But before we get into things, please put yourself first. I keep every episode as safe as I can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up. Take a break if you need to, please. And a disclaimer, this information is not meant to diagnose. If you feel like you may be experiencing symptoms of OCD or a related disorder, consult with a mental health or medical professional. I'm speaking in generalities. Your specific situation, diagnosis, treatment, and medication are entirely between you and your provider. As with all the other entries in the DSM polyvagal series, or the polyvagal DSM series, either way, this is how I'm conceptualizing. This is how I would, if I had a client that carried a certain diagnosis, this is kind of how I would be conceptualizing it, just, just based on the diagnosis itself. But so every single situation Every single client is different in every way, but this is generally how I am conceptualizing the polyvagal theory and how it might relate to these DSM diagnoses. The topic of the episode obviously is obsessive compulsive disorder and related disorders. I'm going to focus on the OCD aspect of it. I am assuming that the other ones, the other, the related disorders probably have some similarities in polyvagal terms as well. I might go into those specifically later on. No guarantees on that. Uh, But as of right now, I'm kind of assuming there's a lot of similarities between OCD and the related disorders. First up is the obsessions aspect, but we need to understand what the difference is between rumination and obsessions. Obsessions are different than rumination that we find with anxiety. Psychology Today says that ruminating is simply repetitively going over a thought or a problem without completion. And another article says that basically rumination means that you continuously think about the various aspects of situations that are upsetting. Rumination is stuck thought due to a stuck state. Stuck flight energy with no direction leads to anxiety, which leads to repetitive thinking, searching for a solution, but there is none. Let me go into this a little bit more. There could be a perceived danger trigger, or maybe someone's already kind of in a stuck, anxious state. There is some sort of neuroception of danger, which leads the autonomic nervous system to shift into sympathetic flight energy. And now your thoughts change to match. Again, story follows state from Deb Dana. But there's no actual danger, potentially. In this situation, there's no actual danger. So the state of anxiety, the state of mobilization, the flight sympathetic mobilization, you're just kind of stuck there. So the state gets stuck, which means the thoughts get stuck as well. That's rumination. That's where the thoughts are stuck because the anxious state, the flight the flight energy is stuck as well. This is different than like if there's an actual danger trigger and then you shift down into your flight mobilization and then use the energy to get to safety. That would be successfully using the state shift and then getting to safety and then 
you're you naturally go back up the ladder once that energy has been successfully discharged and you've actually gotten to safety. The other difference here with between rumination and obsessions is rumination is grounded in real world events. It's anxiety placed onto events from the real world, like with the recent coronavirus pandemic. Let's make sure we understand that. Rumination is stuck thought due to a stuck state, but it's also grounded in real world events. Compare this to an obsessive thought. I have two examples that are from NIMH, National Institute of Mental Health. The first one, the first example is, I couldn't do anything without my rituals. They invaded every aspect of my life. Counting really bogged me down. I would wash my hair three times because three was a good luck number for me. It took me longer to read because I'd have to count the lines in a paragraph. When I set my alarm at night, I had to set it to a time that wouldn't add up to a bad number. And the second example is getting dressed in the morning was tough because I had to follow my routine or I would become very anxious and start getting dressed all over again. I always worried that if I didn't follow my routine, my parents were going to die. These thoughts triggered more anxiety and more rituals. Because of the time I spent on rituals, I was unable to do a lot of things that were important to me. I couldn't seem to overcome them until I got treatment. An obsessive thought is disruptive to daily life. It's chronic and it's attached to a solution. So those are some big differences between rumination and an obsessive thought. With rumination, it's uh, stuck. There's no uh, solution attached to it necessarily. And it's grounded in real world events. But an obsessive thought is very much more disruptive of daily life. It's chronic. And it's, it's attached to a solution. And it's not really attached to a real world event. So the example of if I didn't follow my routine, my parents were going to die. In, in, in real life, like if you don't follow a routine, your parents don't die, right? That is not, it's attached to a solution, but the solution is not a real world event. Let's look at the obsessions and compulsions broken down in the DSM. Criteria A, presence of obsessions, compulsions are both for, for OCD. Obsessions are defined by one and two. So number one, recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or impulses that are experienced at some time during the disturbance as intrusive and unwanted, and that in most individuals cause marked anxiety or distress. Let's look at the persistent thoughts. Uh, Remember, story follows state. If the state doesn't change, the story stays. If the state is persistent, the story is persistent as well, but to a much higher degree than a ruminating thought, a much more intrusive degree than a ruminating thought. The intense thoughts of obsessions stem from intense stuck energy. It's not just the thoughts. There's stuff going on underneath the thoughts. There's a stuck state, right? The other part of part one, criteria A1, is persistent urges or impulses. Now, for me, this seems like it should be under compulsions, Since with urges and impulses, there's a somatic element of doing. It's not just thinking, it's doing. Either way, to me, there is an extreme sympathetic flight fight energy. I would say probably freeze, but I could, I could see it, uh, on either, I could see it directly on the ladder under flight fight, probably more flight, but I could also see some really intense 
and I think probably very intense freeze stuff going on. And again, the freeze is the combination of flight fight energy, but immobilized, whether that's through being forced to immobilize or shutting down while highly charged in the flight fight energy and then immobilizing. The freeze immobilization is more of a panicky, tense, uh, rigid uh, immobilization versus a shutdown, which is a collapsed immobilization. In extreme flight fight energy or with freeze, critical thinking is not really available when in a severe defensive state. Shut down as well, but we're going to focus more on the flight energy and probably the freeze energy as well. It's very much all or nothing thinking. When you're in these states which are there to help you survive, you're not going to be looking at things very analytically. You have to make very fast, rapid decisions. And you kind of filter the world now through the lens of danger or life threat. So your thinking becomes, your thinking matches. It's all or nothing. You know, so your thinking matches. Critical thinking is kind of turned off. You lose access to that skill. That's really only available when you have enough anchor in the safe and social state. Now, I've talked about flight energy. I think more flight energy, probably freeze, maybe some fight there as well. So I can see those, but also there seems to be an element of shutdown here and shutdown is present in the freeze mixed state because it's shut down plus the sympathetic flight fight energy. It's the, it's those two things happening at the same time. So shutdown is in there. Now, what I want to narrow down here is that in A1, the persistent and recurrent thoughts are experienced as intrusive and unwanted. So there's like there's the element of shutdown here is that the thoughts are coming from the outside as if they're invading the person. The person's being attacked. This is perhaps to me a disconnection from the self when immobilized with sympathetic energy. The connection here is that when you're in a very shut down place or when you do shut down, there's a big disconnection from the self, from the moment, from the actual present moment, from your feelings, from your bodily sensations. So having this intense energy while shut down and having the thoughts being experienced as an attack on the self, there, there, there seems to be a big element of shutdown here and a disconnection from the self. The second part of obsessions is the individual attempts to ignore or suppress such thoughts, urges, or images, or to neutralize them with some other thought or action, such as by performing a compulsion. And they're used, so they're using compulsion differently than uh, urge or impulse. The compulsion is the actual doing, which is in the, uh, the next uh, criteria, or is in the next part of criteria A, sorry. There's a level of judgment and evaluation here, right? Rather than being with the self in the present moment. I'm not saying it's easy. I am not saying it's easy or just, hey, just start being in the present moment. I'm not saying that. Okay, so I, I don't, and I generally don't recommend crisis management as the only treatment option. So I'm not saying like, hey, once there's a problem, just be in the present moment or do some simple grounding skill. That could be helpful, sure. But that's not the goat. That's not the, it cannot be the only thing, right? But what I want to focus here on is that there's judgment, there's evaluation, there's a, there's a sense of not wanting. And of course, like you don't want these intrusive thoughts, of course. 
but it's all judgment. It's all evaluation. And it's not being in the present moment fully with the self in your own body, in your own head, owning and, and feeling the experience. And we know that if you're not in a safe and social state, that there's going to be more judgment and evaluation. So based on criteria two, of course, we're not in a safe and social state. It says there's an attempt to ignore, neutralize, or suppress the thoughts, urges, or images. And that's part of the problem, is that the person is attempting to ignore, neutralize, or suppress. When we do that to our feelings, it doesn't go very well. Not just with OCD, but I think, I I find with all my clients, and they know it too, like they'll say, you know, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, how do you handle, how do you deal with this stuff day to day? How are you handling this? And they say, well, I'll keep my mind off it. I'll keep myself busy. I'll get high, um, whatever it is, right? Whatever the thing that they do. And I'll I'll ask them, like, how's that going? And they say, eh, you know, it's going okay. You know, and I, I'll ask, well, how long is that going to go on for? And eh, the, the, it's quite a gray area there, but they know it cannot go on forever. And I say, you know, usually things don't work out super well and um, it kind of gets worse. Have you noticed that? And they say, yeah, I definitely have noticed that, that when I'm, when I'm ignoring, neutralizing, or suppressing my feelings, it, it kind of gets worse. So that's what's happening here with OCD as well. And that's part of the problem. Our general, just generally, our somatic experiences, our feelings, not just our emotional feelings, but the, the bodily feelings underneath the emotional feelings. These need to be felt, witnessed, noticed, loved, embraced, and allowed to go through their process. They're there for a reason. And when we ignore, neutralize, or suppress, we kind of just make it worse. They don't go anywhere. They stay there. And in my opinion, they kind of fester. So with OCD here and, and related disorders, this, attempt, this uh, attempt to ignore or neutralize or suppress, it doesn't work out. It doesn't really help, right? What we need to do is the opposite in general. Not in the moment, not in the moment of crisis, unless you can handle it. But in general, what we need to do is the opposite of ignoring, neutralizing, or suppressing. So again, I'm not saying the person that is diagnosed with OCD, just go sit with your feelings. I'm not saying that. It's probably too much. It might be too much. It's probably too much, right? But it is something that can be worked towards. And like I said before, there's a lot more to therapy than crisis management. There's a lot more to therapy than coping skills. It's the stuff that we do before the fact that I am finding more and more and more to be the most helpful. It's when there's not a crisis to talk about and tap into those feelings a little bit at a time. The painful ones, but also the really positive ones. Also the moments of connection. To tap into those and to feel it when it's there. Or to summon those those feelings or those memories of connection. And if you don't have any, you make it up. In therapy at least. Just use your imagination. Make it up. And I'll ask clients, you know, if you could go anywhere, where would that be? And they don't have the experience to tap into a memory because they haven't gone there. But I'll be like, oh, let's make it up. Just you, There's no limitations. There's no money limitations. There's no travel limitations. Where do you go? And they smile and they now all of a sudden we're right where we need to be. They'll smile and they'll say, oh, I would go to out in the woods by myself in a little cabin. Or I'd go be with my family in the Bay Area or whatever it is, right? But they would, they, and when they do that, then it's like, well, now tell me how it feels to be there. And then that's how you build the strength of 
your vagal break, of your social engagement system, of your feelings of safety and connection. And as you do that, the other stuff becomes more manageable eventually, and sometimes pretty quickly, but it becomes more manageable. Let me get back to this. Uh, the individual attempts to ignore or suppress with some other thought or action, okay? Like performing a compulsion, which is coming up next. This definitely has a flavor of flight. I think it's more flight or panic energy. If, if I do this thing so something in the future doesn't happen, to me, you're, you're very future-oriented. That's, that's a very anxious and panicky kind of feel. So that's the flight energy or that freeze panic energy. In my opinion, that's kind of how I'm seeing this. If I do this in the future, if I do this now, in the future, something bad won't happen. You're very much in the future. And I think when you're in that flight energy, it's very, very much about the future. And the fight energy as well. But this has, to me, this has more of a fight, flight, a more, more anxious, panicky kind of flavor to it. We need to be in the present moment, both physically and mentally. Obviously, like I, I know I'm talking, preaching the choir. You get it. I know, obviously, right? Our physical bodies are always in the present moment. It might be helpful to remind yourself of that too. You're, you are literally, literally always in the present moment. We just need your emotional and cognitive self to be there also. You're always there. You know what I mean? You're always there. But emotionally though, we might not be there. Cognitively, we might not be there. And in this example, it sounds like emotionally, definitely not. Cognitively, it's more about something bad in the future happening. So I need to do something now in order to prevent the thing in the future. And the thing that I have to do now, that's the compulsion that we we're going to talk about next. Okay, so that's how it relates to this sort of like future-oriented obsession. Connecting to the compulsion happening in the present moment. Compulsions are defined by one and two. Number one, repetitive behaviors. And I want to focus on that, behaviors. So we're doing something. Number one, repetitive behaviors such as hand washing, ordering, or checking things off, you know, or mental acts such as praying, counting, repeating words silently. So repetitive behaviors or mental acts that the individual feels driven to perform in response to an obsession or according to rules that must be applied rigidly. Rules equal control. When you're in a flight, energy, or a panic, we, things need to be definite. They need to be predictable. We need to know that there's safety and rules can be a part of this. Rules equal predictability. It equals order. It's boundaries. It's, it's stability. So rules are extremely important in just day-to-day -day life. But if you exist in a more freeze or high anxiety place, having that rule, that boundary can bring a sense of control. So these repetitive behaviors in the present moment are going to be according to the rules that the person has in their head. There's also a level of misdirected energy here. So these are behaviors. We're now using the freeze energy or the high flight energy, but it's, I think it's very misdirected. So there's an urge to do something to relieve this energy, the, 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 to relieve the distress. There's an urge to do something. And we all do this on some level, like working out, tapping our feet, grinding our teeth. But we have to do so mindfully for the energy to actually discharge. So all of us do this on some, on some level, right? 
But we got to do it mindfully. We have to bring the present moment. We have to bring cognitively ourselves to the present moment in our bodies and in our feelings, in our emotions. And once we do that, once all those things are aligned in the present moment, then the, that energy can be directed in an appropriate direction. So the rules that the person comes up with, it creates a channel for the energy. It creates a direction for the energy, but not an exit. I think only when you're in the present moment can you find or, or allow that exit to open up and then the energy goes through it. But the rules, they create a channel, like it creates an avenue, but it just, it just kind of keeps going and feeding back into itself. It's like a pipe that's like a circle, like it just feeds right back into itself. It's this perpetual sort of loop. Now think back to what I said earlier about ruminations. Ruminating is simply repetitively going over a thought or problem without completion. We see with the compulsions that there is a there might be a sense of momentary completion, but not of relief or actual energy discharge. That's a lot different. With rumination, there is no sense of completion. It just keeps going and going and going. With compulsions and obsessions, the compulsion provides maybe a sense of completion. I've counted the right amount, and now I can stop doing whatever it is, which will stop whatever happening in the future. So there's a momentary feeling of completion, maybe. I don't know if that's exact. I don't know if it's relief, but it's definitely not an actual energy discharge. That freeze energy is still very much stuck within someone. That anxious, panicky flight kind of stuff is, is very much still within someone. Part two of compulsion says the behaviors or mental acts are aimed at preventing or reducing anxiety or distress or preventing some dreaded event or situation. However, these behaviors or mental acts are not connected in a realistic way with what they are designed to neutralize or prevent or are clearly excessive. Let's focus on the piece that says preventing or reducing anxiety or distress. Compare this to welcoming the underlying body sensations. It's, a, it's, it's the complete opposite, right? Anxiety or distress are conscious experiences, but there's more underneath that. And if, it's, if you feel anxiety or distress, there's more going on underneath that. There's some body stuff. There's some sensations. There's some tenseness in your muscles. There's some anticipation. Like there's more going on. Once it gets to the level of anxiety or distress, that's that's where it becomes more conscious. But we have to figure out what's underneath that. We have to notice and be with the polyvagal, the autonomic state that's underneath that. But we have to be in the present moment to access that. With obsessions, it's about the future preventing something and that's what it says here is that the behaviors or mental acts are aimed at preventing so it's about the future but we really we have to be in the present moment it says in particular preventing some dreaded event or situation and again this kind of just goes into again what i said before the difference between anxious rumination the ocd stuff's not based on a realistic goal or consequence i'm going to skip ahead to criteria d and I'm only going to read the first part of it here. It says criteria D that the disturbance is not better explained by the symptoms of another mental disorder. And it lists a whole bunch of them that is not better explained by symptoms of another mental disorder. Yet, 
comorbidity is is very very common with OCD and depression being the most common comorbidity and actually major depressive disorder uh, from NCBI is 10 times more prevalent in OCD clients than the general population. They say that depressive symptoms seem to be more strongly associated with obsessive than with compulsive symptoms. And it's also much higher in bipolar disorder clients than the general population. So this suggests that there's an element of shutdown in here, which is present in the mixed free state of shutdown plus sympathetic. Depression we talked about weeks ago as probably being a day-to-day sort of severe shutdown state of the autonomic nervous system. And the fact that OCD has a high, high rate of comorbidity with depression, I find pretty significant. It goes on in the diagnosis to specify if it's with good or fair insight, with poor insight, or with absent insight slash delusional beliefs. I want to focus on the good or fair insight. The individual recognizes that obsessive compulsive disorder beliefs are definitely or probably not true or that they may or may not be true. This reminds me of someone who's doing some level of work on their own, whatever that looks like. It might be in therapy. Like they're doing some level of work and they kind of get it, right? They, they get it. They get that they're, they, the individual recognizes that their OCD beliefs are definitely or probably not true or that they may or may not be true. So they get it. But part of the problem of therapy based on insight without the somatic pieces attached to it is this that we get lots of great insight, we make all these cool connections to our past and our present, and we create this story or narrative of our life, and we can say, I am this way because of this, this, and this, and this thing reinforces it. And So on a story level, we make some really wonderful insights. But just that, especially with this level of, of intensity, I think, with OCD, I'm not sure how helpful that might be and that could lead someone maybe being with good or fair insight, but we have to bring those somatic pieces into it, little, at least little by little. So this client will get it on some level, but their stories are going to persist. So even though they get it, those stories they come up with, those obsessions might persist due to their state being stuck. We have to unstick the state in order to unstick the stories, I think. I'd be curious what you think. If you're in the justinlmft.com members, I have a forum for us now. Uh, head over to there and I'll have I'll have a, a section for us to discuss episode number 49 here. And I'd be curious what you think. But I think, you know, OCD and related disorders to me sound like, I think a lot more freeze energy. A lot, and I think it's probably more of the anxiety flavor. So it's a panicky, you know, anxiety, panic, freeze flight kind of stuff going on I, I think it's more of a panicky a panicky sort of freeze thing in particular but I'd be curious what you think uh, members so let me know in our forum I've got one announcement and that is actually what I just said which is the revamp of my member section I'm testing out the new forum uh, I, I did this before it didn't get a whole lot of attention whatsoever there was a couple of people which I appreciated but ended up shutting that down but I'm now I'm repurposing it for justinlmft.com members and I'm also looking into new options for the audio content right now people are going to my website to listen but I want you to be able to listen to it from an app 
that's either mine or just from whatever app you listen to your audio on. So I'm looking into some options there. I'm really wanting to drill down and connect to a smaller audience. There's thousands of people that listen to this and I appreciate every single one of you, but I miss the flavor of the really small audience. So, you know, that that's what the, the member section I think is going to be more for me is to really drill down and connect further. And I, of course, I really want to make sure I'm giving everybody their $5 worth. Five bucks a month to me is a significant chunk of money. That's a coffee right there. You know, so if you're sacrificing a coffee for, for more uh, time with, with me, my voice, I want to make sure you get your money's worth. So I'm trying out some new things for the, for the members. The homework for everybody is to practice being in the moment outside of a crisis. Don't wait for a crisis to be in the moment. Do it before the crisis. So focus on the thing that brings you joy or peace, connection or calm. And if you don't have something, make it up, draw it, write it out, use your imagination. There's no wrong answer. But as you imagine it or draw it, allow yourself to be there and really practice what it's like to feel connected or calm or happy or joyful or peaceful, whatever it is. Allow yourself to feel it. Notice where you feel it. All right, that's your homework. So practice that before a crisis. I've also got a request of you um, just for the podcast. I would like to do a one-year reflection. I, the one-year mark has already passed. Um, I don't want to go into it. I'd like to do 52 weekly episodes, and this is number 49, so i got three more, okay? Once I get to number 52, the week after that, the plan is to do like a one-year reflection on on all this. So I would love if just if you would contribute to that please send some audio messages or an audio message reflecting on the podcast the past year, actually over a year now, reflecting on Mercedes time with me, you know, reflecting on whatever it is and send it to me. It's really easy. Just use your phone, record a voice memo and then email it to me or DM me a voice memo through any of my social media direct messages. There's voice memos now on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So just send me a voice memo and I'll, I'll take it from there. But I would love to hear your voice. I'd love to hear what you thought about this first year. Like, how did it affect you? Did it affect you? How's it affecting your clients? Whatever it is, like, you know, did it touch you in some way? Like, I would love to know how this affected you. And if you hated it, uh, keep that to yourself. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to know about that. But please send those in by March 31st. I'm going to have a deadline for that. So March 31st, and you can write it out too. Writing it out is fine too, but I would love to hear your voice. But March 31st, please. And finally, I've got a message from a super fan. I love this one. It's a DM. I've just said to my nine-year-old daughter, we're going to listen to Brene today whilst we're building the desks. Her reply, "Uh, why can't we not listen to the guy? I like him better. Turns out she was talking about you. And in the DM, she had a shrug emoji, a laugh emoji, and an orange heart emoji. I'll leave this one anonymous. This is what I, hold on now. I love this. And your daughter is obviously amazing and extremely intelligent. But why, why the shrug emoji? Are you surprised? <laughs> and I know for a lot of you, me saying, are you surprised in comparison to Brene Brown? You're, you're like, yeah, I am surprised. All right, fine. Fair enough. Fine. But I'm going to put myself on a pedestal here for a second. No, there's no shrug needed there. Your, your nine-year-old obviously just gets it. All right. She just gets it. <laughs> But thank you, though. I love this message. It brought me a huge smile. Um, I wish I could get my 10-year-old to be that into what I have to say. So your 9-year-old, she's on the right path. I think she's good. 
you've done a great job parenting, she said. <laughs> Thank you for the DM, it meant a lot to me. It still does. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll look over the shrug emoji, I'll let it go. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you've learned some new ways to connect with others or possibly even with yourself. Bye.